Welcome to the All Things Work podcast from the Society for Human Resource Management. I'm your host, Tony Lee, Head of Editorial Operations here at SHRM. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. All Things Work is a bi-weekly audio adventure through the office, traversing from HR to the C-suite. We'll be talking to HR thought leaders and tastemakers to give you an insider's perspective on all things work. Joining me today is everyone's favorite attorney, Jonathan Siegel. Jonathan is a partner at Dwayne Morris in the Employment, Law, Benefits, and Immigration Practice Group. He's also the managing principal of the Dwayne Morris Institute, which provides training for HR professionals, in-house counsel, benefits administrators, and managers, both at Dwayne Morris and at their client sites, on a myriad of employment, labor benefits, and immigration issues. Jonathan has also provided training to federal judges on harassment and other forms of bias, and he was appointed by the EEOC to its Select Task Force on Harassment. Most importantly, Jonathan is an active member of the Society for Human Resource Management, doing all kinds of stuff for us, writing articles, speaking at conferences, and appearing on podcasts like this one. Now, before we go any further, um, I just want to apologize for any audio blips that might occur in this podcast. Uh, We want to make you aware and say thanks for your patience. So, okay, let's get started. So tell me, how do you define pay equity? First, thank you very much for including me. It's a great question because sometimes people look at pay equity solely as do we have distinctions that may be because of or seen as because of gender, race, ethnicity. Remember, it's not just a gender pay gap. It can be other factors. And that's obviously a critical issue. No one should be paid less legally or morally because of their gender or their race or their religion. But pay equity goes beyond that. It can mean we're individuals who are doing the same, and we'll talk about the word choice I'm going to use, or substantially similar work, and for no good reason, they're being paid differently. It may have been because of a bad manager. It may have been because of a mistake. But that pay equity, by definition, is inequitable. And even if it doesn't raise a legal issue, it's two white women in their 30s with no disability, etc., you still have a situation where inequity um, in a workplace results in disengagement, may result in attrition. So ensuring equity, which includes the legal issues but isn't limited to them, not only helps avoid legal risk but also maximizes fairness and therefore retention and productivity. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So why is this a big issue now? I think it's there are some there are some analogies very much to the Me Too movement. That is, harassment is sadly nothing new. Um, the degree to which it degree the degree to which it exists um, may be a surprise to some, um, but the fact of its existence. Um, I think everyone is known. But in 2017, on October 5, when um, the allegations against Weinstein were disclosed in the New York Times, it sort of opened the door to people saying no more, um, a good thing. And people are beginning, began to say more and more, me too. And organizations hopefully are saying me too in the sense of 
how do I prevent and remedy harassing conduct, even if not unlawful? How do I create a respectful and safe culture? Um, that same notion um, that, hey, there's this problem and we haven't addressed it. I see people saying, well, the me, the me too, the inequity of being treated badly by harassing behavior. Um, we see now more and more people saying, well, what about pay? It's not just having a comfortable environment um, from an emotional sense. It's having an environment where I'm being treated fairly financially. So again, I think people may disagree on the degree of the pay gaps. Um, and there are a lot of dueling statistics, but I don't think anyone can credibly argue that there aren't pay gaps based on gender, race, et cetera. And I think, you know, the notion of time's up applies here too. Um, people at one time may have accepted, unhappily, but accepted the inequity um, with the empowerment that's come with the Me Too movement. And it's not limited to gender. I see more people saying, I'm not being paid fairly, equitably, possibly legally, and I want something to be done about it. Yeah. And and I guess what I have found really interesting in the research we've done, as with harassment issues, you have certain companies that take the lead, that, that get it right away and, and take immediate steps. And then there are an awful lot of companies that are just kind of watching and waiting to, to see exactly how it's handled well. So if you're a an HR professional to company, maybe a smaller to mid-sized company, how do you get started here? How do, how do you make this an issue that, that company leadership thinks is, is important enough to address? You raise an interesting point, and it's important. A lot of times people sit and wait, but that doesn't mean the employee and watch to see what others are doing. But someone else is watching and seeing what others are doing, and that's the employees. And it's not just a legal issue. It's everyone wants to be feel valued and be valued, and that includes economically. So I think what we all should be doing is recognizing, I don't think there needs, uh, the reality, I think we all need to be recognizing the reality that pay inequities may exist in every organization. Organizations are composed of people, none of us is perfect, so there could be an inequity. I wouldn't recommend that someone send out an email saying, I'm concerned we could have pervasive bias based in our, you know, our compensation structure. Um, obviously, that would be uh, speculation and a potentially dangerous admission. But I think it, people can say this is a real issue. It raises legal concerns. It raises business concerns. It raises human concerns. Candidly, I think of them in the reverse order. But as a lawyer, I'm putting law first. Um, we can't assume that somehow we are immune from a societal issue. So let's assume that some of the inequity in society may exist here. What do we do? And there really are two lines that employers need to consider. One line of attack, if you will, is to do an assessment or an analysis to see where um, inequities may exist. And we'll talk a little bit about that in terms of privilege, experts, etc. Um, and then the other is, even if you have the best statistical analysis, it won't necessarily show you where all the inequities may be. So you need to see 
what factors outside of statistics because statistical there's no statistical finding that's going to give you absolute assurance there's no inequity um, for example you could have uh, a and you always want to evaluate every element of compensation you could have a merit pay and you could have look for a correlation between merit pay and performance evaluations um, where the constant for statistical purposes performance evaluations and see absolutely a perfect correlation um, between good evaluations and um, merit pay so that nothing will come up in terms of a problem in terms of gender or race etc but that won't tell you whether the performance evaluations have been tainted by conscious or implicit bias. So the statistical analysis is one piece, but you have to then go beyond it and look at other areas where factors may affect compensation, um, unconscious bias and subjective evaluations, uh, where there are even more objective things like um, sales, how are the leads meted out? Is are they done? In, is it done in a fair way? So the statistical is necessary, but not sufficient. So I think you need to look at both. And from an employer perspective, the biggest fear is, well, what if I uncover some stuff that's not great? Um, don't go into it unless you're prepared to act on what you see. If you go into a, an a assessment, part one, of your pay practices and you again want to look at total comp and then each element separately and i'll tell you from experience that's the variable compensation the subjective bonus is the pay equity where we see the greatest potential disparity if you're going to go into it and you find a problem you need to be prepared to address it it's worse to look at it see it and ignore it one way to mitigate the concern of creating all this data um, that may or may not mean bias. There may be some disparities that exist that don't translate into, into bias is for the initial assessment to be done under the attorney-client privilege. I recognize transparency is a good thing, but so is spending money on employees and not attorneys. So one thing that client employers may want to consider is analyzing their pay at least initially under the attorney-client privilege. And of course, there are a number of steps that need to be taken to ensure that you've maximized the privilege. But this is real important, even if it's structured and administered um, to maximize the privilege, that doesn't mean everything is necessarily privileged. Um, let me give you one example. The fact of the analysis may not be privileged. Other information also may not be privileged, such as who conducted it, what was the scope of it. So there may be a question, did you do, a, did you do an analysis? Yes. Um, how was it done under privilege? You, even, if you, even if a plaintiff's lawyer can get no more, if you've done nothing in response, think of the message that's sent to the jury. Think of the message that's sent to your workforce. But a good way to start is at least to think about doing this with your counsel so you minimize, not eliminate the risk that um, data, which may or may not be problematic, but on its face could be, um, 
is not discoverable until at least, you know, and then the analysis will help you determine whether fact, whether or not it is, and that analysis should be privileged. Okay. So, so to summarize, if I have never conducted a pay audit before, you would recommend looping in my company attorney, whether it's inside counsel or out, and putting together an audit plan with the attorney to make sure that the results are privileged, correct? I would recommend that that an employer do just that, but can I add a wrinkle to it? Sure. Let's, let's assume you do the analysis and you know, giving a CC to your lawyer doesn't make it privileged. They got to be involved in it. It just makes them a witness if you simply CC them. Uh, it has to be for legal advice. Let's assume that you do uh, an analysis, that you engage an expert, strongly recommend using an expert that understands multi-regression analysis. Um, many of us can do them um, in a very limited way, but you really need someone who knows how to sequence the analysis to drill down to the potential disparities that you um, evaluate outliers, both high and low. Some only look low. You need to look high and low. You look to see where there may be potential problems. Um, and that may be, and this is real important, by the way, you don't want to, you don't necessarily know. Sometimes you'll know why there's a disparity. Someone was out of the workforce for five years. Now that should come up if the multi-regression analysis is set up properly, but there are reasons why things may not come up. Someone's pay may look low, but that's because they took a demotion. Um, in, they wanted to remain employed. Um, not leave the workplace, and they took a demotion, now they're top of that scale. Um, it may look like they're overpaid, but in fact, there may be a very legitimate reason based on the prior position they held. But let's assume there are cases where you can't come up with a really compelling reason for the distinction. You take corrective action. You take corrective action, you don't need to necessarily admit the cause. Indeed, you often may not know the cause. You want to focus on the need for the change without speculating as to the cause for the inequity. And then here comes the critical part. You make the change and then later there's a lawsuit and someone challenges whether the change was adequate, why a change wasn't made to them. If you haven't prepared a non-privileged analysis, a non-privileged statistical run, a non-privileged analysis of the outliers, why you conclude they're justified, why they don't meet your standard to be justified, and therefore you're correcting without admission, then you may have to waive the privilege to defend at least as to that decision that's being challenged. And the courts have a lot of flexibility to say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to just waive the privilege on that discrete issue. I'm going to engage in what's called, I'm going to approve of subject matter waiver. The whole privilege is gone. So when the analysis is done under privilege, a good way to start the process, the ending should be to rerun the final analysis and documents outside of, and, and decisions outside of privilege so the employer can rely on the non-privileged information in defending any challenge or introducing it into evidence. 
this critical step that I believe is so important in protecting the privilege is often forgotten. Privilege is where you start. It's not where you stop. Great advice. Thank you, Jonathan. So we've gone in depth about putting together a pay audit and what to look for. So for those folks who are not looking to do this voluntarily, but perhaps because they have to, um, what's the status of the federal law and, and, and how do you think that might change with the new Congress? Interesting question. Under federal law, we already have the Equal Pay Act and all the non-discrimination laws, Title VII, ADA, ADA, prohibit discrimination with regard to terms and conditions of employment, and that includes pay. Interestingly, under the Equal Pay Act, uh, a very big issue is can you rely on prior salary as a defense to um, an Equal Pay Act claim. There are a number of jurisdictions that prohibit employers from asking about prior compensation, including salary, because it may perpetuate prior inequities. Some employers say, well, I'm not in one of those jurisdictions, so I don't need to worry about it. Not so fast. Because number one, under the Equal Pay Act, three courts have held that, three circuit courts have held that a prior salary, a salary with a prior employer is not a valid defense to an Equal Pay Act claim. A Fourth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit held prior salary in conjunction with another factor is not a defense to an Equal Pay Act claim. Only one circuit, the Seventh, said it may be a defense. And under state law, it very well may not be. So this is where we begin to get into you got to look at the systems, even if the law in your jurisdiction doesn't say that you are restricted or prohibited from asking about prior comp. A, do you really need it? B, don't you run the risk of perpetuating prior inequities? Isn't it better, C, simply to be transparent, disclose the scale or the range and let people apply? And if they want more than the range, you don't need to pay for it. It may actually weed people out or in. But then there are states that have gone further and have enacted laws that say, we're not just going to look at equal pay for equal work. And I just want to make clear, those laws um, at the appellate level are pretty str- court cases are stronger than some of the um, c- concerns about the Equal Pay Act. Have, some who have expressed concerns about the Equal Pay Act have said it's sort of a toothless remedy. It's not if you look at the circuit cases, but um, it is same job for same work. Well, a number of jurisdictions, California, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington, also Puerto Rico have enacted laws that go beyond that. And they don't say, is it the same job, same pay for same work? They look at either substantially similar, comparable, or some other standard. So a really major issue for employers is going to need to be, and this is part of the statistical analysis, and if the group is too small for that, you need to look at some of the single incumbent positions. That's a high-risk area in my experience where there's only one person doing it, but maybe they're substantially similar. These are factors that people are going to, that employers are going to need to look to in a number of states. I've mentioned those that exist. 
with the 2018 election, the Democrats made gains across more than 300 state seats went from R to D. A number of houses have gotten much closer. Um, there was a big uh, gender gap in the voting. So that's a factor that I think, regardless of party, people are going to be looking to. Independent of partisan considerations, it's a real issue. So I think you're going to see more states enacting their own pay parity laws like California, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington um, that say you have to look not only at jobs that are the same to determine parity, but jobs that are substantially similar or comparable. And when these laws began, like in, in California, Massachusetts, initially, they looked just to gender. California um, extended to include race and ethnicity but if you look at the three most recent, New Jersey, Oregon, and Washington, they look at every protected group. Now, you probably can't and shouldn't be doing religion or sexual orientation, for example, because you shouldn't be keeping track of it or asking it. But issues like age and national origin, those are other factors employers are going to need to look to. I don't want to predict which states will be next, because I predicted 2009 would be a good year for the stock market and went bullish. Um, <laughs> not the best in prognosticating, but I think there's a pretty good chance that you might see some legislation in New York, in Delaware, in Connecticut, to name three. And even if it's not in those, it, even if it's, quote, only in those states, I think you'll begin to see by case law, courts saying, looking at things and saying, in the modern era of today, where positions are so similar, but maybe not identical, um, I could see courts beginning to look at same pay for same work, same incorporating implicitly the concept of almost the same or substantially similar. Thanks, Jonathan, for such great detail. Um, probably more detail than a lot of our listeners expect, but you think it's really important for them to understand what's truly involved, correct? You know, it's interesting because in, in my view, this is one of the most deceptively complicated areas of the law. I've seen many organizations get what they believe are clean bills of health, and they are anything but that. You really need to understand um, the complexities of the laws, um, what are the defenses, and they vary. You need to understand what statistical what can statistics do and what can it do? A lot of thought needs to go into how you set up the multi-regression analysis and what you do with it, what defenses you consider, how you take corrective action. So I won't go into more detail, but I have been surprised by how many employers think they're in great shape because there was no statistically significant problem. You may not have a statistically significant problem in a given area, but that doesn't mean individuals have not suffered from pay disparity, from a legal issue or a human issue. And I want to end on the human issue. The best way we avoid legal problems is to take care of people as people. So when we look at these analyses, we can't only focus on what's legally problematic, but what may be unfair too. 
That's going to do it for this edition of All Things Work. A big thank you to Jonathan Siegel for joining me and diving deep into the weeds on pay equity. Before we get out of here, I want to encourage everyone to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, be sure to give us a five-star rating and leave a review, because if you're an HR professional, you know how important feedback is. Also, be sure to check out Sherm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And you can find all our episodes and more podcasts, including Honest HR, on our website at sherm.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time on All Things Work.